0: Alright friends, welcome back to No Puts Given. And today we've got a fun one because we're breaking down golfers' egos and why they make a difference in the golf equipment game. Everybody, let's get it.
1: No putts given is powered by My Golf Spy, the most extensive reviews in golf. Before you buy, My Golf Spy. Nine million readers do it every year. Check us out. Sorry, I'm so distracted right now tweeting out who wore it
2: better that I didn't even hear the answer. <laughs>
0: Tony, I must ask you a question.
2: Oh, boy. Oh, my oh
3: God.
2: <laughs> Why?
0: Because
3: Brooks Kepka.
0: Okay, fair enough. I'm sure everybody saw that because it was all over the Twitterverse. How do you think yours compares?
3: It, it's pretty solid. I mean, my daughter loves it. My wife hates it, which tells me I did it right. So. Mm-hmm.
4: I wanna, I wanna, I wanna do that, but I don't think I would get away with it.
0: Again, I know your wife, and she'd be pissed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think I'm. I'm gonna have to exit out of the show this week. I can't look at his face. The whole show. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
4: oh, the people, the people listening on audio are gonna be so annoyed if they they can't see what we're talking about.
0: All right. Well, now that we've gotten over Tony's new look. <laughs> well, I think it's the perfect week to talk about golfer's egos, because for some reason that mustache just says like vanity to me, but Chris, I have a, um, a get-to-know-you question.
2: Oh, all right.
0: What loft do you play on your driver?
2: What loft do I play on my driver? Uh, yep. Nine degrees. nine. Okay, 0. now,
0: is that what it actually is, or is that what it says on the driver?
2: No idea. Uh, I mean, that's what it <laughs> says on the driver, but... You know, it could be ten degrees, could be eleven, could be eight and a half. I don't know.
0: Harry, what about you?
4: Uh mine is eight and a half and it's measured at eight point
0: three. Okay, so pretty close. Adam
1: Um, yeah, I don't play golf really any- no, I'm just kidding. Fair. Mine <laughs> mine's a uh nine mine's a nine point five.
0: Okay. So again, is that what it actually is or is that what it says?
1: Yeah, actually mine's at a nine point four, I think they say, on the front of it. So Pretty close.
0: Tony, do you know why I'm asking these questions?
3: I I just get phone calls middle of the day telling me what we're going to talk about, so I've got a hunch.
0: (laughs) Well, the reason I'm asking is because there's a concept out there of vanity lofts, and I didn't know this prior to this topic, but I was informed a little bit as we were prepping for the show that vanity lofts are a thing where it'll say one thing on your driver, but you're actually playing a completely different loft. Adam, why do you think this happens?
3: I mean,
1: it started years and years ago, and it started for a good reason. Um, It sounds like a dirty little secret from the industry, but really, ultimately, it was golfers' egos. Um, Before I owned my golf I was kind of on a different side of the business where you had to do fittings, and the the majority of golfers that came in thought they needed some loft and needed a different one. So, for example, the majority of lofts back then were actually lower – 7.5 to let's say nine for most men. Women played 11, 12, 14, some even 16. So it really came down to a thing, an ego thing, where guys didn't wanna be playing lofts that were similar to women's drivers, even if they really needed it. And 20 years ago, uh, 10, 12, 14 degree drivers were often recommended for golfers. That's not the case anymore, Uh, but at the time it was definitely more necessary Prior to changes in a lot of different things, like angles of attack and center of gravity, change positions and uh, golf ball design and things like that. Um, but at the beginning, it was all about ego. And if if a golfer think they needed a nine, but a ten performed better for them, the golf industry decided for them: we're gonna we're gonna make it a ten, even if you think it's a nine.
0: So they deliberately misled golfers to make them think that they were playing the right thing and that they were maybe better than they were.
3: Well, they, they helped golfers really. I mean, they, yeah. they kind of right. helped golfers get out over themselves. So if you've got, again, the ego thing, right? Like I, I play a nine degree driver and the launch conditions produced suggest that you should be in a 10 and a half. Well, you know, if you know that a guy who should be in a 10 and a half is, is always, or more often than not going to buy a nine degree, how do you solve that problem so that you get performance, right? Because you don't want a case where somebody buys the wrong thing and then assumes that your product was was no good, right? So you have to get in a situation where you sort of find a way for the golfer to be happy with the performance, even if the numbers don't necessarily match.
0: How prevalent is this?
3: It's kind of interesting what, what's happened. So several years ago, what was commonplace was you know, most drivers were a degree, a degree, a degree and a half weaker than was was stated. So, you know, it wasn't wasn't unusual. For example, for a a nine and a half degree driver to to be measured at at ten and a half and sometimes eleven. Uh, over time, that's that's kind of. I don't want to say that that's not the case anymore because what what we find now is that ten and a half degree drivers tend to be. Uh, the actual loft tends to be a bit higher 11 and 11 and a half and that that's still relatively common what's what's kind of interesting is as driver design has evolved like Adam touched on with the center of gravity being pushed farther back and and down in the club all these things that inherently produce higher launch angles In in lo- lower lofts especially you're starting to see it move the other way where you know for example if i ask you know manufacturer all right this is your 9 what is the actual loft and you dig a little deeper and they're like, well, it's, it's actually closer to eight and a half now because of all the stuff that happens with that, that lower and, and farther back CG where you get more dynamic loft, you get higher launch. And so if the guy who needed a nine and had played a nine that was a true nine bought a, bought a, a club that was actually a nine with those kind of enhanced design characteristics then it would fly too high, spin too much. So you're seeing it go the other way where, where the lofts are actually becoming a bit stronger in some cases than what's stamped on yeah. the club.
1: Yeah. And what, you know, you find is that lower lofts often provide, you know, more energy transfer impact as well and provide better ball speed for lower swing speeds, which is some of the reasons why I think we saw some weird things in our data years ago where we saw these tour style drivers that were lower lofted really performing best for slower swing speeds. And at the time, people would say, oh, that's crazy. But it's one of those things we're starting to see. Um, Also, you know, angles of attack have changed significantly. So 20 years ago, almost no golfers had positive angles of attack. And what that means is you're swinging up when you contact the ball. And back then, almost everybody was negative. Uh, Slower swing speed now, a lot of people that get on a track man or a foresight, quickly see that one of the quickest ways to get gains for distance is positive angles of attack, which create, you know, the changes in dynamic loft. So even if you have a lower stated loft, you're actually producing more loft anyway. So there's no, there's less of a need for vanity lofts now than there was before. But it was a pretty, pretty interesting little secret that really no one ever talked about in the industry. And I think the only time you, when you do research on Google for vanity lofts and golf, we're the only people that really pop up. There just really wasn't anybody talking about it.
0: Is that because they wanted to protect the ego bubble? Nobody wanted to admit that it was happening, so then they didn't have to admit that that's not the actual loft that they play?
2: Well, I think it's partially confusion too, right? Mm-hmm. Like the more information you throw at consumers, like they're already confused enough, right? And so we're trying to figure out how, how do you make some of these things more simple? We throw around terms like, stamped loft and dynamic loft and angles of attack, etc. Like, how do we make that just super simple for a golfer to say, okay, you know, on the, you know, on the driver, it says nine degrees. All right. If I take this nine degree driver, but I deliver it at 11 degrees, what am I actually doing? And how does that, you know, how does, how or why does that actually matter? Um, then you say, but that's actually not a nine degree driver. It's actually 10 and a half. And so now it's like, oh, man, we got another variable to deal with. Now I'm doing, you know, you said there'd be no math, and now I got to do math. <laughs> it's like, how am I supposed to figure that out? So what, what do I need? Now we're getting to, right, like launch angles, spin rates.
1: Well, my question is this. Do you think, like, there was, like, this secret, secret meeting at the PGA show one year <laughs> and everybody sat around and all the golf companies finally got together and were like, man, all these guys think they need extra stiff shafts, 6.5-degree lofts, you know, like Ace, you know, from fried eggs, right? (laughs) Thanks one honey. You know, exactly. And do you think they all got together and did this? Because it is kind of interesting that almost all of them did it. Do you think there was any communication amongst them about it?
3: I'm sure somebody figured it out. You know, somebody, somebody did it first and then everybody else was like, "Mm." Hmm, onto something here. Yeah.
4: Well, what, what happens if, uh, you had all clubs and you didn't have anything stamped on the bottom of your club? Um, and you you never just
2: don't know off. what to take out of your bag. Well, you would. <laughs> <laughs> hey, give me the. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, you
4: would if you if they would if you just looked at your uh, your your stats for carry and um, like your knockdown carry shots, what the odds that went to. But when I came to my goal spy, I was very much egotistical and I wanted if if my buddy hit seven nine, I was going to hit an eight iron, um, just because <laughs> it, that was me. Uh, but then coming in here. I, I quickly found out that everything that is stamped on the bottom of, bottom of the club is irrelevant. I look at spin rates. Well,
1: no matter what the number is, Harry, nine, 12, 14, 18, your seven irons, whatever it is, right? The the loft to some degree shouldn't matter. It really should just be about the numbers that per, it produces yeah. for you. And that's, right?
4: and that's what I'm looking at. Like I'm looking at spin rates, launch angles, descent angles, uh, all of these things that I'm trying to optimize my, my potential in my driver and my irons. Um, I'm trying to find that, and I don't care if it says 13 degrees of loft or seven degrees of loft. Whatever performs best for me is what I'm going to play.
1: I think you're still in the minority, but I I do wonder, like 10 years from now, what that will look like. Because really, at some point, it only becomes about the fitter needing to have that number to know where to start, like for a starting point. But after that, you know, once golfers start to realize that it's just whatever numbers it produces for you, whether or not lofts will even not only not need vanity lofts, but not even need to be really shown in a prominent way on the bottom of clubs.
3: You remember like, when, when slider came out, right. TaylorMade had some, some issues with uh, guys not lofting up appropriately. And so you know, there, there just wasn't enough loft on that club for, for guys, at least if they were matching what I played to, to the, to the new club. And so when the, uh, when the R15 came out, um, the first run of them, they they overcooked the lofts, so I, I remember we got our samples and the, the PR guy called me at the time. He's like, "Hey, man, he's like, you know, take photos of it, do what you need to do, but please don't push any or publish any data or any results." I'm like, "Why? What's up?" He's like, "Yeah, uh, yeah, the uh, the first batch all came in at close to 12 degrees, the nine and a half, so." <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where everybody's trying to to find the right number, and they knew that kind of with that configuration and what they learned from the SLDR, they had to go a little bit weaker in the loft, loft up, kind of loft up for you, if you will. But uh, the early ones they uh, they overcooked it a little bit. So at least they listened to their own
2: advice, though, and lofted up. You know, I made me think of the wedges too. On the other end, like, okay, what's relevant? Like, what numbers are relevant and. You know, a very prominent wedge uh, person in the industry long time, you know, long time. Everybody recognized the name, basically said, you know, I stamp on the club the bounce that players want to see, but I build in the bounce that players need. And the same kind of thing, right, where people think, do I need a high bounce? Ooh, you know, low bounce is really sexy, right? Well, you probably actually need more bounce. A lot of people need more bounce on their wedges than maybe they inherently think that they do. And so there's another little element in there. That so are you telling me there's vanity bounce? I'm telling you there's vanity bounce in wedges. <laughs> I'm telling Uh-oh. you people, people, it, man, people want low lofted drivers, low bounce wedges because it's sexy. But the reality is, you probably need more bounce on your wedges than you're currently playing.
3: Just about anything with a degree symbol at the end of it has been vanity, <laughs> one way or the other, <laughs> both over the years.
4: I just, I, I just did a um, a tight list university um, seminar on my laptop. Yesterday, and uh, there were some really interesting uh, numbers for descent angles if you want a low launch and uh, a penetrating ball flight. So, for instance, players that want to have a higher ball flight need to be looking between 37 and 42 degrees of descent angle, uh, where you can get like a good optimal rollout plus XYZ. And for those who want like a mid to low ball flight, 30 to 37. Degrees um, of land, and I thought that was really interesting because now when I'm looking at uh, my own numbers, I'm going to be keeping those in mind and trying to get that extra three or four yards of roll that I, I that I potentially need in, on a certain certain course.
3: You hit it 330 yards, and you potentially need an extra three.
0: <laughs> the well, ego, it's The ego. <laughs> it's
4: the ego. But I thought that was really interesting, and then they did it for hybrids as well. So. I learned a lot from just that one little tidbit from Titleist um, going over the university.
1: Yeah, I mean, all those numbers, as golfers get more accustomed to getting fittings, whether it be drivers, which would be what they're getting fit for most now, and then they start to get fit more for wedges and putters or whatever, the more accustomed they start getting to these numbers, the more comfortable they are soaking that in, that information in, and then being able to apply it on the golf course, right? And it's going to take time, but uh, it's all valuable. And sometimes it can be overload, but it just depends on where you are on that education level and and how you can apply it onto the course. But um, one interesting question that this brings up, I mean, it's kind of a rhetorical question, I guess, and is why do golfers care so much about driver loft and not what's on their irons?
3: I mean, you think like I think. Some think they care about what's on their irons, right? We we hear it all the time when uh, when a new, especially in the the game improvement play space or the players' distance space, where these these so called jacked irons come off uh, come out and and readers flip out about the lofts, right? Titleist T two hundred, for example, I believe that's a forty three degree pitching wedge in what's supposed to be a player's profile, right? So people lose their minds a little bit about that stuff without without actual regard to all right i understand that this is a number and it and it has a meaning but what does the ball flight really look like and that's that's ultimately right yeah so
1: well important thing to who right i mean most guys or golfers right. go they care about the driver loft because that's the big dog right that's the thing that it's their it's their macho it's their ego you've you've met matt meadows you know harry mm-hmm. yeah. um he used to hit it farther than me, and then one day he didn't. And since that day, thirty-five years ago, he's been trying to, you know, <laughs> pound it past me. And they've just sprayed all in the woods, right? And it's just amazing to me that he he will watch his score just go up by eight strokes around by trying to hit it farther off of one shot. And then you get to the irons and it's all about precision right so when it comes to that driver they care about that number because it means something about distance and their strength and manhood but when it comes to the irons eh, i don't care what numbers on there as long as it goes farther than it did last year when i pull my seven iron out and that's what the industry's giving them right they're giving them stronger and stronger loss every year and those seven irons are going farther and farther What is the, what was the question, Tony? How
2: low do you think the loft's going to be on like a four and you're like zero? (laughs) (laughs) Like negative. Well, I mean, and that's the other part that it confuses a little bit is as manufacturers continue to do that, there are some people that that's really, really good for. So you have some people that add a lot of loft. At impact, right? And so, Tony, we've talked about this too, like with Titleist, with the, what is it, the the stronger lofted version where it's like another two degrees strengthened, that may make a lot of sense for a certain player, right? Um, But, you know, like Tiger plays traditional loss, what, like 47, 48 degrees in his pitching wedge, but... At impact, you got to wonder how much he de-lofts it, right? So he's hitting a pitching wedge with maybe the same effective loft that I'm hitting an 8-iron because I scoop at it, right? How could we explain that to consumers, the difference between static loft and dynamic loft? How could we present that to golfers in a way that is like clear and makes sense and they go, oh, okay, I totally get that now. That makes total sense. Why? I mean, isn't
1: it as simple as this when you lay the club down That's the static loft. When you hit the ball at impact, that's the dynamic loft, right?
2: Yeah, so static loft, whatever this measures, you know, and dynamic loft is maybe you hit down on it, maybe you scoop up, you know.
4: Ty could be hitting a 46-degree pitching wedge, but when he's hitting it and the dynamic loft is saying 42, you've actually turned that into, you know, a 9-9.
1: Well, think about it like this. You go to the range any day of the week, right? The majority of golfers flip at impact, right? you know, that's how most golfers deal. Exactly. Guilty. When you flip at impact, you're adding dynamic loft to the club, correct? So that's another reason to give golfers lower lofts nowadays too, because not only are they angle of attacking up, but a lot of them are adding more dynamic loft by flipping at impact.
3: It's a delicate balance though. Um, You you start to think about it, right? You you tend to see the really uh, strong lofted stuff in the game improvement space a lot of time and, and into the super game improvement space you know, harry and i as we planned out the iron testing last or earlier this week you know kind of looking at the lofts and we're like my god you know
4: yeah i've i've got those i've got those ones here i mean 3.75 degrees of difference in in the seven iron loft in the game improvement
3: and the thing is right that's a uh there is a, a strong element of dynamic loft that is dependent on head speed. And so, you know, when you are producing these these jacked lofts for slower swing speed players, you don't necessarily get the intended or at least the desired result every time. I mean, those guys are going to get more distance still because it's, it's coming off low and it's, uh, it's not spinning much. Uh, but, I mean, some guys we see just... I mean, we look at the numbers in our tests every year. I mean, it's clear that, especially on the lower end of the swing speed swing speed spectrum, uh, it's it's very difficult for the guys to overcome the static loss of uh, some of these these jacked irons. So,
2: well, then they end up right with like they end up with like four. It's like you ask them in the bag, like, "Hey, what club do you hit 150 yards?" And they're like, "All of them." Like they all go 150 yards and then some roll out to 160, some roll out to <laughs> 180, some roll out to 200. And, you know, it's like that's a that's an unfortunate result, right, for guys with slower swing speeds that maybe actually need something other than what the industry's given giving
1: them. Yeah, it's crazy. Like when you I tend to go about fittings a little bit differently. I like to do a bag check before you even swing. Right. So you go through and you do an interview with the with the actual golfer. And you go through their bag and you go through every club and see what they like and don't like about every club and problems they have. And, you know, one thing that you see over and over again is that there might be three irons in their bag that are just clean, look like brand new. (laughs) And you're like, what's the deal with these? And you go, they go, I hit them all the same distance as that one below it. And you're like, interesting. You know, that's, that's unfortunate. Right. But that's part of the reality of kind of like what you're talking about there, Chris. And, um, if you're good, if that's the case, either fix that problem or get those out and add some other clubs in there. Right.
2: Yeah. I got a four iron a five iron and then two extra alignment sticks called the two iron and a three <laughs> iron. You know, like now what, like, what do I do with those?
3: I go back to when we did you know, two, three years ago, right. When the first one length iron test, uh, first one length irons came out, we did the one length test and kind of got to compare one length to how guys were hitting their own clubs. And it was crazy to see, like some guys had like a five and a half yard gap between their five and their six or maybe it was like between their five and their seven iron even you are like you know what is this why you know something something needs to be tweaked here because this is this is not a functional use of of the space in your bag so yeah i think that that's another thing where guys just go all right i need one of these just incrementally four five six seven eight nine up and you know sometimes when you look at the gapping you're like you know what maybe we maybe we need to to skip one of these and and give you a little something farther down in the bag
4: throw a 64 65 degree wedge in there you'll love that
3: I related a lot
1: to I mean it's not a perfect analogy but um you know if you are a cabinet builder versus a weekend warrior with you know messing around with tools generally speaking somebody that spends as much time as most golfers do playing the game have really good tools and know exactly how they work right and in golf it just seems to be a little bit different people will play 30 40 years and if you look at all the issues going on in their bag it's no shock or surprise that they're shooting 90 still i mean there are so many things that they're in their bag making the game so difficult for them to really score well it's pretty eye-opening and it starts with little stuff like that you know just going through the bag one club by the next and saying, what's, what's what's up with this club? And you find that there's, generally speaking, 50, 60% of the clubs that aren't really working for them. And I look at those like tools. If I'm a cabinet maker and that's my career, I can't have 50 or 60% of my tools, you know, making my cabinets not as nice when
3: I go to sell them, right? Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's an interesting point too because we're always saying, hey, go get fit, go get fit, go get fit. And If you do that, you you don't have to worry about any of that stuff because the fitter takes care of it for you. But even... Even if you don't want to buy new clubs, go in for a checkup and, and just have a gap analysis done, right? Where you just hit a handful of shots with each of your clubs and and see how far they're actually going. That'll give you a good idea if, you know, something just needs to be bent or if it's time to replace a club with with a different club and, and really make sure that you're you're covering the range of distance you need to you cover and you don't have any redundant clubs in your bag. But, you know,
1: one I think that's a great point, Tony, but one issue I see with that is where that gap analysis gets done. If it gets done indoor and not on the course, a lot of times why I think you see those three clubs all being similar distances is because there's that one club that they love, right? That they that they they do de loft it, right? And they that's their baby. They play it over and over and over. But then they go from that seven that they love to the five, and they're in a more traditional stance. They don't swing it the same. So really, the lofts actually end up being very similar but they're not as confident with that five as they were with the seven, right? So two different swings, okay? Produce almost similar distances. But when people get fit indoors, no different than with putter fitting or gap analysis, I don't think they swing the same indoors as in like a game mode golf where they're like, all right, here's my comfy club, right? And they get in this really comfortable position and swing like super com- you know, confidently. Indoors, you just don't see that. So I don't know if you're gonna get a perfect gap analysis with indoor gap testing. Do you follow what I'm saying?
3: There is a psychological element at play with with indoor for sure. And I've seen it over the years. A lot of it is is golfer dependent, you know. And again, because a lot of the guys that I've fit over the years are guys that I play with. Um, so you know, I kind of see both sides of that. And it, it's interesting. There are guys that come in and and what they do indoors is Absolutely indistinguishable from what they do outdoors, and then there are other guys where, like, just something psychologically, a, a, a switch gets flipped. Like, there's this one guy, um, Worm, Mike Wormley, um, kills the ball outside outdoors. Absolutely kills the ball. Hits it. Yeah, he's probably he's a big guy. He can motor it. Probably push it out 280 when he's when he's really swinging swinging well and getting a hold of it. You you put that same guy in a hitting bay with a driver, and it's a 220 yard slice every time, and there's absolutely nothing you can do to, to kind of write him because it's the psychology of the wall in the corner or whatever it is, and that, I mean it it happens, it absolutely happens, and that's that's a you know that's a challenge.
1: Yeah, and not to get too far off topic, but you know, putter fitting I think is the worst indoors because. You watch guys on like Quintex, right? Or these devices that track them. Their their putting stroke is so different than their real stroke their asshole tightens up so tight <laughs> that they want to hit that perfect stroke like you remember when they used to put that ping app on
3: us and you
1: try to get that professional stroke
3: better like that's if i want to put well that's why i'm like stick this thing on. like i want to i'm not trying to make it i'm just trying to impress the machine
1: <laughs> yes exactly that's the exact point and here's how i know it's wrong when we finished testing there they said adam you have the second best most consistent putting stroke we have ever seen <laughs> That is 100% false. That is not possible. And anyway, indoor, outdoor is a little bit different. I do think you should be gap tested, but I do think you should do it, which once again, who's going to have this opportunity, right? Where you get your coach out on the course, playing around with you. With and a launch gap test you With a launch monitor, gap test you during a round of golf. But that's the way it should be done.
3: Uh, so we, you know, we're free to talk about it, I think. So Foresight has a new electric trolley, right? Um, powered push cart that's uh, starting to ship this week and I was when I was talking to Rick about it over there I was like it's got a launch monitor in it is it built in because that's really like the perfect solution right the launch monitor in your push cart but uh no it's it's unfortunately just a push cart for now but I think like you want to talk about well how do you get it done like that's perfect world absolute dream scenario is this mobile launch monitor that's there with you for every shot on the golf course
4: but then you you kind of you kind of have that Arcos Oh yeah, and
3: absolutely. Like you, you look in that Arcos interface. That's another way, right? That's that's actually a pretty solid way to see. All right, what are what are my real gaps on a golf course? You look mm-hmm. at that in Arcos, and you know, talking to Mike Aglie at Cobra over the years, you know, typically what they see is name, name dropper. That's right, yanks. <laughs> you see, you they're you know kind of stepping up, but almost invariably and typically in the long irons, you see two clubs where. You know the mm-hmm. distance is is almost the same, and that is the the typical pattern for someone who hasn't really looked at it.
2: well, and I think too that uh, I was talking with Adam Beach uh, earlier <laughs> um, around some of these topics, and uh, no I actually was chatting with shotscope, um Gavin Deere, uh, one of the guys over there, and um, similar things with they're working on is being able to decouple these different pieces of information and give specific user feedback on different parts of their bags. So we're working on some stuff around irons and Tony and I are working on some stuff with graphite shafts and steel shafts and what they have capability of doing and decoupling that data is really, really interesting for exactly this type of problem. Because other than, you know, having a, a launch monitor out there with you or whatever, it's kind of tough, right? I mean, you might be able to laser to a pin, you know, you go out on an early evening, not a lot of people out, you drop down three balls and hit your nine iron, you know, say three different times okay, great. And then you drop another two, three balls, hit your eight iron and maybe have a mark or whatever the case Pace is. Pace it off. Pace it off. I mean, that's, you know, how else do you do that in a realistic scenario where you're trying to hit to a target or whatever the case is, other than, you know, some type of technology infused, you know, monitoring option or yeah. Label the balls. I mean, Tony, you're probably pretty good at that at this point and this one has two green dots, this one has three green
4: dots. This is it's uh, a
3: skill that does not
4: translate. <laughs> yeah, but then here's, here's another thing that is tough is where does the ego take off here? Because if I hit one in the center of a club face and it goes one eighty, and then I hit one off the toe and the heel and it goes one seventy, guess what I'm taking for my actual number for that for that club? I'm taking a hey, 180. Nobody
1: in nobody in <laughs> Vegas remembers how much they lost. They only remember how much <laughs> exactly. they won.
4: Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. So people's ego is still going to be like, all right. Well, consistently, I I strike it one, uh, 72 yards. No, I'm not playing that. I'm 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 playing for a center strike 180.
1: Look, dude, we did we did a study. I don't know how many years ago was it, Tony, when we did the one where how how far golfers think they hit the ball versus how far they actually hit the ball. I don't know if you remember that, but I mean, with the driver, I think it was—don't quote me on this—but it was like 23.1 yards difference from what people said they hit it to compare to how far they hit oh, it. Oh, I
4: see it here. I see it here in testing because when we get new when we get new testers in, I said, "So, all right, just give me a number on like how far do you think you hit your driver and, and your irons," and it's all about 250 and they go up and they hit theirs and i'm I'm looking <laughs> i'm like you might just be a little bit off there you're hitting it 190 you know you know what they always like, well, say oh, harry shit. they're like i
3: don't i don't think this thing's accurate man yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs>
4: the first year
3: i we we tested with the the foresight the gc2 the first year we had it we had uh one of our 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 senior testers come in and you know he, Balls are rolling out 203, 205. And he looks at me after, you know, basically we're about six clubs and three days deep. He's like, this thing doesn't work. It's not accurate. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, he's like I hit it. I hit it 220, 225 all day long outside. We're like, all right, noted. And then, you know, brought in another tester. Just super consistent. I, I joke, like, he's as close to we have as a, a robot up here. And uh, he was testing four irons. I'm like, Ratsy, how, how far do you hit your four iron. He's like, a, a buck eighty. First swing, one eighty. Second one, one eighty one. Third one, one seventy nine. Fourth one, one eighty. I'm like, yeah, I feel like the equipment's fine. <laughs> I don't know.
0: I think this is an interesting discussion. Where else do you guys think that golfers' egos come to play the most?
1: Oh my god, their score. Oh. Ah. Yeah. I mean, then <laughs> if they should literally get rid of erasers on the pencils because. I don't know many golfers that I play with that what they write down as their actual score was their actual score.
0: Really? They just no. flat out cheat. Well,
4: here's another thing is they do it in they do it in their apparel, they do it in like shoes is a great example. They'll play they'll use a shoe that they like I love this looking shoe. It's just a great looking shoe. But performance wise it's one of the worst ones.
1: Are like, you are you was that a transition right there? Maybe a little bit, did? maybe. <laughs> uh, maybe.
4: <laughs> maybe just a little one yeah i
1: have a i have a feeling there's something that below that we can't see that people might want to
4: yeah well we haven't officially tested it and and until next year we'll put it against a test but we will be bringing out something head to head against another shoe that maybe won in the category of spiked uh this year um and we'll see how it matches up but no spoilers alert but yeah
1: what what, what came into the facility what is it
4: yeah show us uh can you it's a it's a nike it's a nike shoe
1: it's a nike shoe
4: it's it's i'm gonna send this shoe to go along with tony's mustache (laughs) because it'll it'll go along with
3: it i was actually looking for a nike shirt and nike hat to wear with my my manly brook stash here but it has been so long since nike sent me any barrel i'm like i can't wear this stuff it's like six years old so
0: is it just me, or has Tony's voice gotten deeper, and he talks a little slower <laughs> with the mustache? Yeah, I've definitely noticed that slower. since we started today. I like it.
2: I'm thinking yeah. about your question, though, Miranda. Uh, another one that I love that yeah. golfers love to do is, uh, you know, let's say it's a six iron, whatever, par three, and they just smoke it. I mean, just smoke a six iron. And, uh, you know, a buddy playing next to you is like, Hey, what'd you hit there? He's like, ah, oh, smooth seven. It was a smooth seven. <laughs> <laughs> I just smoothed one. You know, Smoothied. it was just it was just a little cutty. I just hit a little cutter with the with the seven. and smoothy smoother. You, you just rope the six iron best you've ever hit it. No, <laughs> uh, just just a little easy one.
4: Well, that's another one. If you hit a driver, I remember I remember playing in college, and I we had a really big hitter in college. I outdrove him by about three yards. It this one time, and I. <laughs> I said, How'd you hit that? And he goes, You know, I hit it okay. I was like, You smoked that. You smoked that, didn't you? Caught it a little thin. He goes, Nah, just hit <laughs> it okay. I said, Oh, I, I pretty much missed mine anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost but,
1: whiffed. Well, here's another one. Here's a, what do you guys call these up in New York, Tony? I don't think you call them captain's choice tournaments, but down here they're called captain's scrambles. choice tournaments. Yeah, scrambles. So captain's choice tournaments down here, you'll shoot the best four men will go out there, ball out all day, shoot a 13, 14 under, which is still pretty damn good. And you'll get blown out by, you know, you'll see 56s, 55s. (laughs) I mean, and when you see the dudes walk up there to pick up the trophy, you know damn well they didn't shoot a 55. And that happens pretty much.
3: (laughs) We shot shot a 47.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 So captain's choice tournaments are the worst. Yeah. Isn't that
2: crazy for a game that's built on such like honesty and integrity and doing the right game. thing and call <laughs> pennies on yourself golfers are a bunch of liars man <laughs> Yeah, you know? so that's crazy
0: well hopefully none of you are right
2: i i, I that was i was met with like sheer I, silence <laughs> i i did the hairy thing once where it's like i caught it really good driver and got it by my buddy's like oh man you got a hold of that I was like uh, a little bit off the toe, a little toey
3: Chris has played with me. I'll give you. He'll tell you. I'll give you over over a four day span. I'll give you one good round.
2: Yeah, and and what's really fun is it's not always on the same round. It's like two holes here, four there. <laughs> Sometimes you're one of tone, my favorite round. Maybe one of my top five I've ever playing with somebody is the the infamous you know even under on the front, and then we went to the back approach. That was a. Uh, uh, that was Jekyll and, and, and Brooksy
3: right there. Yeah. <laughs> even, even on the front. And I think, I think by week, by the time we got through the 10th hole, I was four over. So, <laughs> and it just got worse. Yeah. Good times.
2: Good times. Speaking. Nope. I almost forgot something. Tony, it has been two weeks and I think this is why, <gasps> I think this is why we didn't have an episode last week. Cause you were hoping I'd forget. Uh huh. I gotta hear about that bag of dick story.
0: Uh, yep. I haven't written down over here. <laughs> I think
2: you thought we'd forget, and I want a bag of dick story. Tony right
1: called now. me last week. I forgot
3: all about
2: this.
1: Tony called me last week. He goes. Uh, he goes. We can't do the show this week. Why? I can't tell you why. We just can't do the show. Now,
3: <laughs> now I know why. That's
4: yeah. why. Oh, uh, <laughs> just
3: I mean one of the one of the great moments in the history of, of my golf spy. Right. We've been known to ruffle a feather or two over the years, and and so anyway. I'll uh, I'll leave I'll leave names out of it, but I, I I got a text one day from just out of the blue from a friend who was previously in the industry, and the text was like, "Did did you send so and so a a bag of dicks?" I'm like, "What?" No, and then <laughs> like before I can even answer, you see the dots coming up, and it's like and a glitter bomb. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> so I mean, did I send somebody a bag of dicks and a glitter bomb? And it, it, it no, I didn't, but it turns out a PR guy for uh, one of the, the golf companies received a package. And when he opened <laughs> it up, I guess like glitter bomb. And then it had a it had a bag of gummy dicks in it to boot. And, and, <laughs> I, you know, and I, I will, I'm, i i love the expression eat a bag of dicks so you know i have been used to, known to say that from time Not to time 20- but yeah so Why anyway it- whoever whoever actually sent it you know basically signed it sincerely tc okay. and we believe the intent was to make it look like it came from me so yeah there was a there was a uh a, a window in time there when i was uh an accused bag of dick sender <laughs> yeah you were persona non grata
0: i'm gonna say i don't know i'm not sure i believe you you sent it so, didn't you
2: so here's the problem here's the problem is that we have two scenarios that are possible here option number one tony sent him and he's just flat out lying to us for all these years right which he continues to deny
0: did his mustache twitch does he for, does he have a giveaway for the record
2: i mostly believe him or two the real bag of dicks sender is still out there somewhere people and that's what's scary to me is that this dude might be out there running around sending bags of dicks to people and we don't know who it is
3: over time like the pieces fell into place and we we have a a, a solid lead and a the working theory as to who actually did it but yeah
4: tony have you ever received a bag of dicks
3: yeah adam sent me one oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you know what you know you know what personally offended me I know, I know what you're gonna say. They were. I am no, they were, a connoisseur of fine gummy bears, and they were <laughs> such crap gummies. Like, <laughs> just like, like if you're gonna make a dick gummy, at least make it a good well, one.
1: here's <laughs> where here's where I went wrong. I delegated that task to Sam, and Sam got them sent from a discount place from China. So you got some Chinese gummy. You dicks. didn't even do
0: it personally. You got your I, like my golf spy assistant to send it. Y-
3: Yes, that was. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I, I don't know that there's an alternative there. I just can't imagine that a, a reputable gummy company is out there making the gummy dicks because you just don't need that market if you make a solid bear. DTC, it could be Haribo doing
2: like a little DTC action, <laughs> <laughs> like.
3: <laughs> like terrible uh, is a crap gummy let's just put
2: it right I,
4: I reckon i reckon you're gonna get about six or seven bags of dicks shipped <laughs> to your your house in the next two weeks <laughs>
3: i i got no pride about my gummies so if, if they're albanese i'll eat them
0: <laughs> i have a question if it's also a glitter bomb please tell me that the gummies and the glitter are separate because there's no way okay
3: they start out separate. <laughs> that, that's kind of what I said. I was like, "Look, man, I'm I may be a rotten son of a bitch from time to time, but you know, glitter is just like I've got a ten year old daughter. I know what it's like to have glitter all over the damn place. You can't get rid of it." I'm gonna tell you right now. Tony and I have talked w- way too long in our life together.
1: I don't feel like he has lied to me on any occasion other than this. He sent that bag of. Bitch.
0: <laughs> but do you think he would have been? Brazen enough to sign it TC. Oh
3: no, I'd have put my name on
2: it.
0: Like it would
3: be, yeah. That's that's the issue. I would have left no
2: doubt. It's weird because I have all these email and texts that say, "Hey, from TC, 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 TC." So here, here's my question, Chris. How did this person?
1: How did the person know that Tony signed things TC?
0: They have to be in your circle.
3: How I think this came to be is. At at large scale golf media events, I tend to congregate with our Canadian friends.
0: No, there is no way a Canadian sent anyone about it. No, eggs. but
3: the Canadians, <laughs> the Canadians all call me
0: TC. Hmm.
4: Didn't you change change your uh, your signature to T after that? you Canadians... a good
3: mix. Like I'll. You're uh, you're your, your everywhere. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's Tony TC Tonk from time to time. If I typo it, I mean, anything's possible,
1: <laughs> dude. He's taking this to the grave, man. I can tell you that right now. He's taking it to the grave.
0: If it's not you, Tony, do you have a theory?
1: Yeah, Tony. Tonk. TC. (laughs)
3: uh, Whatever you want to call him. Anthony. Anthony. The working theory was, given the nature of the relationship at the time and the uh, the volatility of the PR person in question, the the working theory is that the guy in the adjacent cubicle sent it to him to get a rise out of him.
4: Interesting. We are so far off topic here. Matt. That's okay.
0: I, I feel like this might be one of our best topics.
1: Well, let's, um, we, let's, let's stay with Tony for the next topic, which is...
0: Yeah, Tony, I'm going to keep the pressure on you here um, because... We want to talk about, we're, we're at the the second phase, at least here in Virginia, I'm not sure about New York, of reopening post-pandemic, and most people think that the golf industry is going to not only rebound, but exceed where it was before. Are you on that train?
1: Well, let's title this category real oh, quick. Okay. Um, this is the state of golf as brought to you by Mr. Debbie Downer Tony Cubby
2: <laughs>
0: also known as TC
2: <laughs> also known as Tonk. <laughs> okay Debbie
0: downer is there a question,
3: what, are we what were we
2: talking yeah.
0: about because the theory is that because golf is one of the only things that people have been able to do during quarantine in the pandemic the industry is thinking okay these people that we've recruited during the pandemic are going to stick with us do you think that that's the case or, you know, baseball players that have been swinging a golf club are going to head back to the diamond?
3: I think there's a couple factors that have led to the uptick in rounds played. Uh, as you mentioned, hinted at, right. One, uh, golf is the, or was the only game in town, right? So the, the reason I hear all the time, why, why people, give up their memberships and play less golf or stop playing golf altogether. It has to do with their kids' sports, specifically traveling sports and, you know, going all over Hell's Creation for for traveling soccer or traveling softball or traveling baseball or, you know, whatever it happens to be, lacrosse. A lot of the participation is being driven by the fact that there's nothing else to do. And, again, you have things like state parks opening up where people can go, go hiking where, you know, around here anyway wasn't necessarily an option day one. And you have the warmer weather, which – you know, golf, technically a warm weather sport for a lot of us, but, you know, now there are other things you could do that you couldn't before. So I, I think that rounds played number is going to start to come down even as, as golf course kind of gets the open courses, creeps closer to 100%. So I think I think participation is going to drop. I I hope, you know, I'm not anti-golf by any means, and I'd like to see are everybody you, do uh. Are you sure? No, I mean, I looked at so... <laughs> You know, my, my course around here was reportedly, I haven't been over there, but, you know, people were telling me, you know, it, the T-sheet is packed and, and people are going out and walking. You know, I have friends who live on the course and they're saying, yeah, I got guys going by my house six, seven o'clock at night. And and that's the way it was earlier in the season. I, I took a peek at the T-sheet for the weekend and it's essentially wide open after 1130, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it's and I, and I think that's probably going to be the case is, is you know life starts to level out and the other piece of it is people are starting to go back to work and, and so you're going to have that effect too where you know i i have a job now and i can't just go to the golf course or you know whatever it may be that you were you were doing to pass the time or you know working more is it i guess you could say
4: but you ha- you but you had all of those golfers had all those things when it was right. fully functional they had they had their kids they had day jobs and they would go play after work or on the weekend like it don't you think it will just go straight back to where it was
3: yeah i don't i don't think it's and, and i think it might be slightly up so that's what i'm saying like right now if you look at, at rounds played they're up and typically you know i always scream every time we see a rounds played stat is sort of being used to, to say that golf is is healthy if you will or that it's on the on the rise and like rounds played is typically in a normal year it's a weather stat did we have an early spring did we have a did we have a dry may or june that that's usually the kind of thing that that ultimately influences the stats and now it's like you know was there anything else to do versus hey there is other stuff to do now and i think i think that's where we're going to see probably rounds played go down that being said I, I did talk to, and I've had a couple of conversations with with the guys at the golf companies over the last couple of weeks. And there is, there is some optimism now that, that sales are going to take off. So that's, that's kind of been like,
1: yeah, but I mean, this is, this is obvious, right? Like there's no stores open, haven't been, there's going to be stores open,
3: sales are going to go up. Right. Well, but, I think like, the, the concern was that stores would open and nobody was going to buy anyway. Um, So there is is some optimism.
0: If there's any evidence that I drove by TJ Maxx the first weekend it opened and there was a line around the block. So that theory (laughs) didn't work out.
1: (laughs) I think at the end of the day, I get it. The industry wants to promote the industry, right? It wants to feed itself and say that rounds are up and all these things. And right now there is a lot of interest in the game. And the key word there is interest, you know? But will that stick? And the reality is, I think a few different things. The nine to fivers that are playing right now, Monday through Friday, that are working from home or not working at all, are able to play golf. When they're able to go back to work, you're going to lose that some of that you know Monday through fi- Friday play, right? Kids who right now can't play those travel sports are some of them playing golf. They're going to go back to travel sports, right? And then I think the other thing is, too, that when people go back to work, you're going to see, Tony and I were talking about it, right? They're going to get done with their work for the day and then go, well, I'm just going to do tomorrow's work today because people are so far behind or feel the sense of being behind at work that that extracurricular activity of what was I going to do after work today if the life was normal or on the weekend, which might have been golf, might have been into consideration, now is going to be. I'm just going to keep working. And that doesn't mean everybody, but all these things are going to chip away. And yes, I do think sales will go up.
0: Compare it to pre-pandemic and post-pandemic?
1: I'd say if you if you compare pre versus post, I think sales will be down compared to, you know, before this ever happened, right? I think rounds played, at best it's going to be a wash and at worst it's going to be down, you know? I don't I don't see any reason for optimism other than the fact that a few new people got exposed to the game, maybe, but them sticking with the game, it's going to be hard to tell because this thing could be going on for a while.
3: Right. And when things do, you know, whatever, I oh know John Gordon hates it when I see when people use this word, but it really is like when things go back to whatever normal is at the other side of this, the, the, the issues real or imagined with golf, you know, it, it, takes too long it costs too much it's elitist all of these things those things still exist right nothing nothing has changed there and so so fundamentally if those are the problem and and i don't necessarily always agree that they are but that that's sort of why you know it's it's why golfers believe non-golfers don't play golf uh those things haven't gone away those things are still you know a part of the the culture of the game if you will so
2: no, and I think it too, you know, follow the equipment trends, right? Like we talked earlier this year, like what's gonna happen? You know, our company's gonna start liquidating product the product cycles, how's that's gonna work out? Where, you know, ping was gonna have right new stuff um, kind of coming out this summer. That's on hold. Title It sounds like we're still not hundred percent sure from everything we've heard, right? Mizuno still on for this fall with uh, potentially a JPX update. That's Seeing a safe that's- assumption, it will be a JPX update. Well that, I think that yeah uh, but we're not seeing the fire sale kind of stuff yet. That maybe we thought we might see. We're like, hey, buy a new Sim driver, get a fairway wood for free. Buy a new, you know, Maverick, get a you know fairway wood for free. We're not seeing this liquidation kind of desperate inventory thing just yet from the major OEMs. And I don't know if that's something reading I'm reading too much into or not enough into. But there, that that type of you know kind of uh, warning or or really kind of you know, skittish feeling from the OEMs does not seem to be as desperate now as maybe it was a month ago.
3: Yeah, I think, and I think too, there there was probably a little bit of early panic and, you know, I, but I, I think in talking to some people, like there is a feeling like there, there will come a, a point in time and I don't know if that's July 1st, August, September, uh, I will expect that it's going to be earlier than it would be in a typical year where, and they're they're not going to make up what they what they didn't sell over the last two and a half months. Uh, the rest of the year, like that's, right. you know, the the busy the busiest part of the season is you know plus or minus fifteen days, pretty much over with. Like Corona came at absolutely the wrong time for, as far as sales cycles are concerned. So there, I I don't know the date, but I I would be shocked if we didn't see discounting earlier than expected now if uh, if callaway holds off or taylormade holds off if one of those two kind of holds off and and is able to either avoid it or or really get in towards you know almost snow season if you will till till the beginning of ski season then you have a situation where Titleist can maybe launch their product this year, but if if you get in a situation where you know come July first or August first, July especially, um, and and TaylorMade and/or Callaway goes, that's it. We got to We looked at the numbers, we ran the projections. Let's start blowing this stuff out. I don't I don't know how you can launch a full price product in that climate. Yeah, yeah. So,
4: well, Boba yeah. came up with a great um, analogy on this, and he he was telling me about these golf companies for instance like the Callaways and the Taylors they're based on retail stores and if the retail stores don't buy them then you have a lot of product just sitting there and what do you do do you discount it or do you like what what do you do because you could lose thousands and thousands of dollars doing that so if the retail stores like the pro shops and the Dick Sporting Goods and all those don't buy them and wait and and are going to wait for 2021 20, product there has to be some kind of discounted products but i think they're going to wait until that they make a decision i think
1: the industry is going to fight the discounts as hard hard as they they, can i don't think they're going to do it i don't think it's going to be put it this way some might i think everybody's waiting and see to see who's going to do it first but it's a it's a lose-lose you know like that's that's not worked out for the industry before i don't think they want to go down that road again um but we'll see.
3: Yeah, because the, the issue, like you start, and again, I mean, I, my mailbox with the kind of the the various specials or, or discounts from the the retail stores, the online resellers, you're starting to see kind of prices come down on some stuff. But it's 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 last year stuff, and what that tells me is that well, while golf companies have gotten more responsible, there's still more prior year inventory in the retail channel then would be optimal, especially again, same situation. If you're not, you're not selling new stuff, you're not selling old stuff. So you're the old stuff that you'd hope to blow out by now is still there. It's already discounted. The new stuff is not selling because nobody's open and, and to date, nobody's been buying. And that's, so that's to a degree accumulating. And so you're going to get into the end of the year or, you know, in, even into the fall. And you've got a ton of this year's stuff still on shelves potentially still in some warehouses and you still got more of last year's stuff than you want
1: how much how much is it how much do you get a, a ounce for recycling titanium
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right i mean because there there's a drop dead point right so we talk about these pressure points like yeah i agree adam i think they're going to hold on as long as they can because once you start discounting right that's that slippery slope and then it's like okay dominoes fall who's next and how much do you discount because we're moving right we got to get stuff out of there but the longer you wait, right, the more pressure there is on this side to drive sales at those prices. And I think there's pent-up demand right now that we're seeing, right? People haven't been able to play, haven't been able to shop. So like, yeah, I'll pay $4.99, dollars for that driver. Yeah, I want a new set of irons. And so you got that wave of that kind of core group of golfers that probably would have bought in March, but now they're buying now. When is that going to dry up? Is that going to dry up at the end of June? Yeah, that is true. Is that going to dry up at the end of July? Like Tony's saying, like, is it a July one thing? Is it an August one thing?
1: Yeah, and I mean, honestly, man, like, I don't think golf courses are going to close again or the economy is going to shut down. But, you know, there's a second wave of this stuff happening now based on people going back out. And we just started getting back out. So, yeah. how while the economy might might not shut down again because they won't allow it to or whatever does that not mean that some people just you know individually don't take it a pump themselves to become more responsible be proactive about shuttering their own doors and not going out and playing golf or spending money again you know so this thing nothing has changed right it, nothing has changed literally and we're going back out so to expect this not to surge again is foolish and if it does naive yeah and if it does which it is does that mean more people are going to start withdrawing again on their own and then spend less we don't know that right
3: yeah i wonder so i you know i have a lot of golf courses that show up in my facebook feed and people posting pictures of their their rounds and after rounds and i'm i'm starting to see an uptick of photos of you know like hey post round let's all get together nothing nothing close to to social distancing, no masks, any of that, and I'm starting to see more and more of that. And I wonder, like, what does it mean for for a golf course if there is a coronavirus outbreak among the membership? Right, because you know there is a lot of overlap where you you play with a group of guys this week, and then two of those guys play with two others, you know, and it's you you could see how it how the permutations spread pretty quickly, and that that I think is is also a risk with you know kind of well, the, the relaxing of things is is a feeling that things are are better than they actually are a,
0: a false sense of comfort
1: take take today right one player on the corner ferry tour and three caddies tested positive today right and mm-hmm. so okay what do we do with that information ah uh, who gives a shit just keep playing or are they going to start to pull back or what are they going to do and to and that's the first time they tested them so if you think that that's not going to happen the second the third the fourth the fifth it's gonna right. going to keep going
3: yeah, and that's the thing. Like the, the, the tours at least have the ability to test before every event. Your, your local golf course is not going to test everybody in a foursome before they head out. And and again, you know, we can talk about the, the foam on the flagsticks and not touching and, and staying six feet apart on the golf course, but the, the photo evidence I'm seeing suggests that that isn't happening uh, to the degree that it should. And so, nope.
0: Well, and the other thing, too, is it's not just golf where it's not happening. So somebody could maybe be social distancing on the course, but that doesn't mean that they didn't go to a restaurant and meet up with a couple of friends and then bring it to the course. So, I mean, there's so many variables that you can't control, and then, you know, it, it could move from there. That That's the problem.
3: You know, we talk about, you know, there is at least some some people predicting a second wave in the fall and whether or not that shuts things down entirely. <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully it doesn't happen at all. But I would think that the golf companies are, are looking at that too and saying, Hey, you know, what if, what happens if we don't discount now when we actually have an opportunity to move some product and we get hit with a second wave and, and retailers close again. And now we're, mm-hmm. we're sitting on all this <coughs> inventory and there's, there's no chance to unload it by, by the time the new stuff is well, supposed yeah. to mean over- uh,
4: yeah, So yeah. that's a really good point.
1: Yeah. I mean, Bob PSG seemed to be the only one that really moved on the first wave. Right. Um, And it seems to have worked for him. That's a great point, Tony. I don't, I mean, I think the prediction seems pretty strong that a second wave is probably gonna happen, right? So it might be somebody in their best interest to start discounting now. It's a tough problem to solve, right? Because they have channels in place to kind of handle these situations prior to the pandemic. Meaning, you know, like the rock bottoms of the world and the hurricane golfs and however else you get rid of that excess product, right? There are all these different markets to unload some of that stuff, but this is kind of unprecedented and they don't really have a channel to get rid of pandemic golf equipment. So, you know.
0: Well, here's a question though. If they have so much excess 2020 product available to consumers, does it then start to affect the sales of the 2021 products or do consumers just skip over 2020 altogether and go straight to 2021?
4: That's what I'm saying. That's why I think it's gonna be depending Mm -hmm. on the consumer and the retail stores because they might just go straight to 2021. Yeah, that's why
2: it's not a 2020 problem only, Mm -hmm. like Tony's saying it's a 2019 problem, 2020 problem, and a 2021 problem.
1: But Chris, put yourself in the position of being a retail store owner, right? And they come to you, and you're at the end of a season, and they come to you and say, hey, here it is. Now we're ready to rock and roll. And you go, I mean, what is your decision going to be as the owner of the business that has
2: to sell this equipment? I mean, because do you want to take on all that risk too? because you're pre-booking stuff for 2021, right? There's all the incentives based on how much you pre-book, and certainly that helps, and and you want to be able to do that. But I would have to think at this point in time, they're also starting to rewrite some of those rules because of this, saying, well, well hang on a second here. I can't afford to get stuck with this. I, I need some kind of an out. I need some type of a a pandemic out clause, <laughs> you know, in, in this. So I think what we're going to see is rewriting some of the rules around uh, retail channels and potentially seeing companies do more DTC stuff where, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't go to every, you know, every five, you know, all these different retailers and say, hey, you know, drop this by $4, drop this by $20, whatever. All right, I'm selling, you know, Epic Sub-Zeros from 2019 at 129 bucks a piece till they're gone. And I can sell that through the site, right? Because I don't have to check with anybody.
0: So you're saying companies that aren't traditionally direct to consumer could create some sort of like an excess product channel that goes straight to consumers?
2: Yeah, I mean, they can. You have to be careful. You have all these relationships to manage, right? Mm -hmm. If you totally undercut your retail channels, that tends to not be a great thing, particularly if you're trying to build those relationships moving forward. It is generally (laughs) frowned upon. But if it's something that could you know, if there's a way they could work together on it and somehow use that channel together to do that possibly. But man, if I'm that retail store owner, I don't stick me with that much inventory. I can't commit to that right now. If you want to sell your product to my store, which I want you to, and I want to be able to do that, I can't afford to take on that much risk. So if I'm going to take on that risk up front, what's, what do you have different now that's going to help me balance that out? Because credits towards product the next year, that's just going to, you know, pass the buck. It's not going to actually help me where I need to
3: be helped. And so floor space, shelf space, whatever you want to call it, is not an infinite resource either. So if you if you already have a, a bunch of or some amount of 2019 and you've got a bunch of twenty twenty gear and you haven't unloaded that, where do you where do you put the twenty twenty one, right? You have to do what we had to do. We had to get a storage unit. <laughs> it's really it's like, you know, <laughs> let's get we're just gonna put one out of one of everything out here and as soon as it's what we'll just run and grab another one and Well, that's where you blow it
2: out online through that DTC channel. They ship it from whatever that retail location is. You get a cut of it. They get a cut of it. And basically you become a warehouse of the virtual retail store or something. I don't know. Adams golf did that like
1: way Uh back when I can't remember what that program was called, but it was pretty ahead of its time. Um, They could bring back something similar to that. Mm -hmm.
0: Maybe it'll all go to the same place that the t-shirts for the Super Bowl losers go. And we just won't know.
1: That goes with Bahamas, you know. man.
0: Oh, does it? Yeah. Okay, well so then so then in about fifteen years there's gonna be a phenomenal increase of awesome bohemian golf stars on the PGA tour, I'm calling it now. Could be. Chris, um my tub spy this week, you're talking about or asking about graphite shafts, right?
2: Uh yeah, that was one of the questions.
0: Any good responses?
2: People, it's, it's interesting, it almost doesn't matter what the topic is, right? People that are resistant to certain types of change are always resistant to that change. Uh, people that want to be naysayers of different technology find kind of the same excuses. You know, why not to upgrade to HD TV? Why not to, you know, get a programmable thermostat? You know, I don't know. Why not get a ring doorbell? Same kind of things you see with...
0: Oh, I don't like those things.
2: Yep, we'll see here.
0: <laughs> I don't want to go ring people's doorbells anymore because I'm like, Hey, it's me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't like them. So anyway, what we're going to explore, uh, Tony and I have a plan here. We got some stuff we're going to look at in the graphite iron shaft space because it it's a compelling topic. It is an area of change. I mean, you, you look however many years ago, right? There used to be, you know, everybody played steel shafts in the in their metal woods and their drivers in three woods. And other than Jimmy Walker doing it, I guess, today at Colonial or whatever. Yeah. Making a comeback that, you know, pretty much everybody took time to transition to graphite in in drivers etc because it was demonstrably better across the board we have not seen the same thing in irons um and, and and it's a question we're asking why why not why have we not seen this on tour why are we not seeing it with amateurs you know i don't know i just think it's as simple as as
1: math right it's math and yes i think graphite shafts are getting better for irons and they're going to continue to get better but at the end of the day eight versus one right and If you're going to have really good graphite shafts and you have eight clubs in your set versus one driver shaft and going from a TT light or a dynamic gold or a X one honey, you know, to a whatever graph pro light 35 that still costs 35 bucks. Yeah, I can, I can dig that. But when it comes to replacing a whole iron set, Harry has the luxury, you know, I doubt Harry had to pay for those shafts, but everybody else does. And eight times 50 bucks, you know, is a four hundred dollar upgrade to the set of irons that you already had to pay eight hundred bucks for. You can't get um, a
3: set of irons for eight hundred bucks anymore, barely. So, I mean, yeah, 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 you can. But I mean, but you're you're probably the baseline for a guy who's at, at that level who's going to think about a, a premium graphite offering is probably twelve hundred even. So you're, you know, you again, you're almost double your money to get to.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's simple math, you know, and. You'd have to really show some proof right now, you know, mm-hmm. Fuji and whoever can talk all they want about, hey, it's gotten better. And until some pros play it in their bags and until some type of study or test is done to show that it's definitely better than the lightweight steel out there or heavy, you know, the, the standard steel that's out there. I don't think anything's going to change.
2: You know, that's the question. Um, and what what are the hurdles that that part of the industry Faces because right when you talk to the shaft manufacturers, obviously they're all about it. They're very excited about it because
3: yeah, it's an opportunity.
2: Yeah, to sell some shafts, grow their business.
3: I mean, with my situation, right, with the the elbow being as, as <laughs> suspect as it is, I'm like, Stay can active. I can I can I get the I same level of?
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, I laughed at your elbow. Cause the only thing I thought about was your device. <laughs> it's over. <here. laughs> Not Stay your active. poor um, elbow.
3: <laughs> but no, but if if I could get the same level of performance and supposedly right reduce vibration and and eliminate elbow pain or reduce it if if that's a real thing then yeah for that leveling if it allows me to play that's 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 huge right but that's again who knows that's you if it allows me about. to stay active on the golf okay. course. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's you. That's
1: not the masses of golfers going out to go, hey, I'm really excited. I got some money to right. burn. It's burning a hole in my pocket. I'm going to the golf store today, going to a right. golf store. Half the people there don't even know how to push graphite versus steel anyway. They're just watching you walk around the store. You know, So you've got to get somebody that can actually d- demonstrate an advantage to trying this versus that. And oh, by the way, it's worth that extra 400 bucks, buddy. So buy those
2: graphites. That ain't happening. Right, or it's got to become to the uh, – I think it's got a good point where it's more of a cost-neutral decision, right, where it's A or B. And right now, are we there? No, absolutely. We also know that graphite shafts tend to be arguably the highest margin product in the entire industry. And so it may be some exploring around, okay, how inexpensively can you actually make graphite iron shafts if you wanted to go? Here's
1: how you do it. You do a made for, and it's cheap.
3: <laughs> UST is able to produce – Graphite shafts for irons at a price that that Callaway can put in their irons for no upcharge. So, you know, there there is the potential to do that, but again, that's that's the difference. You know, when it is a stock option, you're doing a volume you you don't do right. in the aftermarket, particularly I st- in an I iron. I still
1: think you've got to get over that big perception hump too, and yes. right now that is a major hump. Right, so there's got to be. You know, point of sale stuff. There's got to be POP displays that educate people, and that's going to take time because until people change their mind, people think graphite is whippy. You know,
3: you get a well. The the manufacturers kind of did it to themselves, right? Where they put these these low cost. You know apologies in advance crappy graphite shafts in some who are of the you apologizing to the poor bastards who bought the crappy graphite shafts i guess really is probably who <laughs> should we should apologize to but it, again it's sort of like hey we we made this this low cost comparably low quality product that has become the thing that most golfers associate with graphite shafts, and so sort of how do you how do you separate yourself from the mess that you made is kind of the challenge.
2: Yeah, and it's not going to be easy. Not going to be overnight. Uh, I think that's where the performance part comes in, and we'll see. And, and really, if we talk about tour validation stuff, I think you really need somebody not like a Bryson, uh, you know, because he's such an outlier of outliers. The guy can do anything. Kind of excuse it as like. I mean, he gets credit for, what, gaining 20 pounds during COVID? Well, congratulations, it ain't that hard. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. But he's such an outlier of outliers, right? Like, he's four or five standard deviations away from the mean. Well, what not mean? only
1: that, but he's somebody that tries some wacky stuff and is looked at as kind of wacky by some people. It would right. need to be a Tiger Woods type that has always yep. taken equipment so serious, and now he's put this new shaft in that's graphite, and all of a sudden he goes out and wins three tournaments in a row. That might turn yep. the, you know turn the tide, but
2: or other the other that- one, the other one that I could see happening is a younger group. Right, so you have these older players they they've grown up with steel. I mean, they play dynamic gold whatever forever, and that's hard to change. Even if there is a performance difference to it, if you can get some corn fairy players, younger guys, college, just starting out that don't have that built in.
4: Well, it depends. Like if if they are the ones that play in the corn fairy and then like make Harry, it maybe. The- well, no. But if they make it onto the on the Corn Ferry and then make it onto the PGA Tour, then they start getting some traction on the PGA Tour, like a Justin Thomas. Um, if he came through those ranks through the Corn Ferry, I think you might see the mo- the the needle move just a little bit more. But it, I th- I agree with Adam. I think it needs a big person in the industry that takes equipment seriously to for it to. I
1: chip. mean, people people forget that the average golfer isn't the person that's a tester at MyGolfSpy. Isn't the person that's reading MyGolfSpy hardly. You know, it's the person that is at the municipal course, and literally, you go, "What do you know about graphite shafts?" And they're gonna, a few different words are gonna come out. You know, for old people, they're whippy. They're for people that you know are on stay active, you know, therapy or something <laughs> like that.
3: You know,
0: I would have said they're made of graphite.
3: I actually had a back and forth the last time we talked about graphite in uh, irons. One of uh, one of the my R and D contacts texted me, Uh-oh. who's Here like, "We go, Here they're like go. never, never gonna." He's like, it's just not going to happen. And I said, "What's? Why aren't they more prevalent on a tour?" He's like, "Because the reps don't want to deal with them. It's just one more thing, and just kind of a pain in the ass." There's, and you're, you know, you're not going to show a, a tour guy any indisputable performance boost, right? It, at that level, it's always going to be fractional, marginal, whatever you want to call it. And so, it's just easy easy for for the guys in the vans to go. You know what? We've we've got drawers and drawers full of shafts that work just fine we don't we don't need to sort of introduce another variable and bring this graphite stuff onto the van so that's again it's there's there's always with the tour there's there's always a, a political element that in play here and that that certainly appears to be part of the part of the issue here as well
1: you know what they need to bring back tony to fix it all the harrison Shopmaker. the shop maker harrison Shopmaker. yeah that was a that was a interesting product you can still get those can you I don't know. I've got a couple of them laying around here. I should put one back. It's one of my favorite shafts of all time. The Harrison Striper J.
0: Chris, most important question. What flavor was the ice cream this week?
2: Ooh, we had some Caramel Toffee Crunch. That was wow. one, flavor one and flavor two. Uh, Tom over at ESPN recommended uh, the Malted Sh- Moo Shake. Tom's on to something there. Good. Is that a Ben
3: and Jerry's flavor? or what?
2: No, this is. we're still on Tillamook. We'll probably try a couple two different ones this next week.
3: I got an ice cream story for you. Ooh. Go dudes. for it. So we got we got a I I had my wife pick up a pint of Ben & Jerry's when she went out last time and so and she what? took what? on her of her own volition bought a box of sugar cones. So last night I'm just down in the kitchen. I'm like, "Yeah, oh, I'm making myself an ice cream cone, no big deal." Then I went upstairs and just laid down in the bed next to her with my ice cream cone and she's like, "No. No." <laughs> no, like talking to me like I just peed on the floor. Like, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, so I, I don't know what the rules are in your house, but yeah, we apparently have a strict rule about ice cream in the bed. Which, you know, if you're asking me, I feel is kind of limiting. But you know,
0: Harry had to put a trash can next to his bed so that he could throw his Kit Kat wrappers away while he eats his chocolate. <laughs> I can find Harry based on the trail of chocolate and popsicle wrappers.
2: My my issue is the ice cream will never last long enough to make it upstairs to the bed, so I keep I keep it outside by the hot tub. That's my, that's my place is ice cream in the hot tub. Tell you what,
1: I got a preview of some hot tub my tub hot tub spot. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. they're good this week.
2: Yeah, I sent Adam some uh, uncut edition. It was definitely a prototype.
0: <laughs> definitely rough around the edges a little <laughs> bit on some, <somewhere. laughs>
2: but uh, there might be a riff raff quote or two up there.
0: Well, we got a comment last week that asked why we don't say "we out" anymore, and it's usually because we end up on these like rabbit holes like this, and so we forget to say it. So,
1: Chris, before she says "we out," I saw you in the hot tub this week, and I'm seeing you on a weekly basis in the hot tub now, which is odd. But is the ice cream that you're eating like
2: diet ice cream? Because you seem to be losing weight. I've lost I've lost 15 pounds in COVID. I don't know why.
0: Good for you. Oh.
2: and it ain't on purpose really no i, I think i think i got a tapeworm <laughs> i think i got something to eat something because i am not eating any differently uh eh, that's not true i'm probably eating maybe a little bit more ice cream
4: do you how many teeth do you have that's actually yours still teeth yeah all of them yeah you have no cavities
2: well no cavities? there's some stuff th-
4: <laughs> there's some stuff filled in there but- there's some there's some there's <laughs> some
2: craters in there <laughs> I haven't done a I haven't done a full inventory recently. Talk about gap analysis, man. <laughs> <laughs> There's some gap analysis in my mouth.
3: All right, on that note,
0: and we out. <laughs>
3: That's a good ending.